Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So the idea that uh, the kind of young people are very supportive of a big expansion of the welfare state, of higher taxes, of, uh, of kind of very interventionist policies in the economy, I just don't think stands up to scrutiny, really. This is Free Exchange from CapEx. I'm Oliver Wiseman, CapEx's editor. We spend a lot of time worrying about the political weather. But behind the day-to-day drama, the political climate is slowly changing in fundamental ways. One of the biggest shifts in recent years is the widening generation gap. There have always been differences between young and older voters, but they are getting harder and harder to ignore. In fact, age, not class or income, is now the best predictor of how someone will vote. The younger you are, the less likely you are to vote Tory. And that problem for the right appears to be getting worse. So if you want to understand the challenges the Conservative Party faces, tackling the generational aspect of modern politics is unavoidable. On Monday, Onward, a centre-right think tank, published the latest set of polling on the Conservatives' generational woes. For this week's episode of Free Exchange, I spoke to Will Tanner, director of Onward, and former advisor to Theresa May about what is driving Britain's widening age gap and what the Conservative Party should be doing about it. Yes, well, so we set out uh, when we first commissioned this study to essentially study the uh, phenomenon that's happened since the 2017 election where age became the key dividing line in British politics. Previously, we thought class and income were the big predictors of vote intention. Now it is very much age. And we wanted to understand both why that was happening and whether or not it had continued at uh, a significant pace since 2017. Our headline finding is that actually age continues to be an even more important factor in British politics than it uh, ever has been before, and certainly uh, more so than 2017. The tipping point, the median age at which a voter goes from being more likely to vote Labour to more likely to vote Conservative is now 51 years old. Um, That's an increase of four years on the 2017 general election results um, and actually an increase on 34 years old just before the 2017 campaign. So we're seeing kind of a huge uh, uptick in that tipping point and, and the Conservative Party as a whole is becoming dominated by much older voters, about 50%, just under 50% of Conservative voters are now over the age of 65 and about 70% are over the age of 55. So um, the Conservative Party age demographic is skewed very much towards older age. Um, the Labour Party, interestingly, is less so. The Labour Party much more balanced across uh, different age groups uh, and doing much better with younger voters than it's ever really done before. Um, so we really saw the, the kind of headline finding was that age has continued to drive 
uh, British politics, and uh, it's getting worse rather than better. Um, I mean, you're talking about age in a, as a factor in party political preference, but is that reflected in broader political attitudes? No. So the very interesting thing that we found is that um, lots of the things that we think about young people just simply aren't true. So there is a perception, certainly in this postcode in SW1, that young people are uh, incredibly liberal on uh, social issues. And we found that that is broadly true, but also that they are um, economically very left wing. The idea that, that, that young people in the last few years have become much more attracted to socialism, communism, uh, the rise of the kind of Corbynista narrative, um, we find is actually not very based in reality. Young people are more favourable to lower taxes than any other age group. 18 to 24-year-olds have a 63% of, the, of that group want uh, to keep more of their own money rather than spending more money to reduce inequality. That was the wedge question, and um, we found that they were in support of lower taxes. Uh, they are in favour of a government that lives within its means. About 58% of 18 to 24-year-olds supported a government that living, lived within its means rather than a government that invested... Uh, or borrowed to invest in the economy. So uh, a kind of mm -hmm. another clear kind of centre-right, I would say, uh, attitude amongst younger generations. Um, and, and they also supported things like reforming public services to make them more efficient rather than simply spending more money on them. So the idea that uh, the kind of young people are very supportive of a big expansion of the welfare state, of higher taxes, of, uh, of kind of very interventionist policies in the economy, I just don't think mm -hmm. stands up to scrutiny, really. So, I mean, I guess the, the kind of explanation then, I mean, we've done sort of similar, made similar arguments, I think, but the mm. idea would be then, you know, essentially to, the way to think about it is young people are want the same thing that people have always wanted uh, in quite a sort of bourgeois and boring way, uh, but just the system is not necessarily, the economic system is not necessarily set up to, to give them what they want. Is that broadly accurate? Yes, I think that's right. I think So that's would, like owning a home being one of the obvious Yeah, I think, I think we would think that... Um, young people are instinctive capitalists, but they don't think the current capitalist system is working for them. Um, uh, as you say, young people are much less likely to be able to own a home these days. They have lower levels of disposable income, partly created by marginal tax rates through tuition fees. Uh, they um, probably are in more insecure work with kind of uh, more stagnant wages than their previous, uh, than their parents and grandparents uh, were at the same age. So um, I think that there are lots of kind of economic factors which are driving that voting behaviour and some of those economic attitudes. But fundamentally, young people want the same things as previous generations, which is not currently setting up a system in a way that gives it that gives them, to the, them those to them. Uh, so that uh, I think we would say that some of the things the centre-right could do to respond to this would be um, working quite hard to improve home ownership rates, especially amongst younger generations. Uh, we should be doing much more to reach out to specific groups who have a, sig a really significant aversion to centre right, the centre right brand or the conservative brand. Those would be uh, young women in particular, ethnic minorities in, in particular, um, and uh, and trying to fix the capitalist system in a way that actually makes it work better for everyone. Um, and that might mean um, some levels of intervention, but in order to make capitalism as a whole work better rather than mm -hmm. simply to tackle certain types of firms. Yeah, I mean, we could have a separate yeah, debate about whether that's maybe 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 there's too much intervention and, and that's why this wasn't working but uh, we'll park that one um what is the stuff what is the stuff where they are more economically left-wing though i mean if they are you know if they're pro low taxes they're pro kind of they're not pro massive expansion of welfare yep. what's the stuff where there is a generational divide on economic issues 
So the, the economic divide is really, I think, a moral divide rather than an economic okay. one. So, uh, so young people, much more than older generations, are likely to support tackling bad firms who, or badly behaved firms who, for example, don't um, pay tax properly or don't pay their workers enough. Right. Um, they are more supportive of protecting the environment than pursuing overall economic growth. Um, and uh, and they prefer reducing the gap between rich and poor than than just growing the economy as a whole. So I think, I mean, we would say that all of those things come into a kind of moral or social conception of mm-hmm. capitalism or, or, or markets rather than uh, a kind of purely financial uh, decision-making structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, we think that's actually that kind of moral space is where there's an opportunity to be making an argument about markets that work for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- the obvious one of the obvious points to make, especially given your your CV, is that some of what you're talking about is kind of what the Conservatives are doing or have tried to do in in recent years, and um, which is the kind of you know the, the, the sort of Theresa May style mm-hmm. um, um, sort of tough on tough on some businesses and stuff is definitely right in that wheelhouse. Um, and you know, it's. I don't need to tell you that she is not exactly a popular prime minister among, well, in general, but among among younger voters. And, and a Tory brand is sort of weaker, not stronger than it was among younger voters. So, you know, how do you kind of how do you square those two facts? So, I think I think it is possible to square those two facts. And actually, I mean, you're right that Theresa is not a popular voter amongst young. Uh, pop, popular prime minister amongst younger voters at the moment, and. Uh, and her premiership has not been characterised by particular success and on, on lots of those uh, grounds. But actually, I think it is possible to construct a narrative about um, reforming markets to make them more competitive, to make to kind of deliver uh, actually the re- kind of realisation of the dream of enterprise and, and competition. I would argue that lots of markets are currently quite concentrated, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not just be- partly, but not just because of regulation, also because of. Um, uh, kind of accumulations of capital and, uh, and concentrated um, uh, influence in certain sectors, um, and so you could do. There is a kind of, I think, a kind of uh, substance, the kind of hipster antitrust narrative that's happening over in the US, and I think that's something that conservatives could take on over here. Um, while at the same time, uh, I do think. I mean, the, the reality is, young people are kind of seeing news every day of a business not paying their taxes, uh, failing to uh, fill out their pension scheme properly, uh, kind of all of these things. I think. I think. There is a case for going further in terms of ensuring that businesses are all playing by the same rules and all um, understanding that they don't just serve a profit purpose, they also serve a social purpose. Um, Actually, British capitalism has a long and uh, kind of proud history of businesses being very involved in their local community and their local environment, contributing to... Uh, national culture as well as just um, their shareholders and that's the narrative that I think is acutely within the conservative tradition actually um, that would appeal to younger voters One of the frustrating things uh, from my point of view about lots of these questions is the gap between the conservative party's ability to diagnose the problem, Um, not just the political problem but the economic problem and it's willingness to actually do something about those problems um, I think housing is is, is is the best example of this um, Theresa May clearly sees the you know in burning injustice as she maybe would put it yeah. in the, the problem with our housing affordability crisis um, and yet the government response the policy response is well in some cases makes the problem worse 
um, by by boosting demand, mm. and in other ways, is just completely sort of sort of lacking in ambition to meet the to, to, to meet the challenge. So, you know, in a way, you're kind of making things hard for yourself as the party because you're, you know, the worst. You know, it's you could say nothing, or you, or you can point at this huge problem over there and then do nothing about it. I mean, so is your on housing, for instance? I mean, do you think that the Conservatives should really be taking on there's, there's trade political trade-offs involved so yep. you know what is the kind of calculation in your mind when it comes to should we be pissing off loads of suburban homeowners to make sure younger people vote conservative or should we be finding ways to square that circle do you see what i mean what's the kind of so there are trade-offs involved in housing um there's the perennial trade-off between uh, kind of liberalization of supply through green belt reform reform and uh and kind of other measures uh or the kind of protection of the political capital uh mm-hmm. that, that that um entails uh we found very clearly that no generation supports liberalization of the green belt and that that's as strong really in relative terms for young people as it is for older older voters so um i do think there is a p- p- particular political cost associated with uh, with kind of reforming the green belt in such a way that we start building houses across the south of New England. That doesn't mean that we don't need to build many more houses. And there are lots of ways in which we can build houses. Building up in cities is a mm-hmm. kind of good example. Uh, more garden cities. And we've argued for local authorities to have greater um, involvement in the planning system in order to um, secure enough land at affordable rates in order to build large developments in um uh, in new locations rather than just tacking on development on onto existing uh, villages and uh, and towns because i think i mean in many ways in many ways part of the problem of the housing sector is or the housing market is that we end up building in the places that annoy the most people most mm-hmm. um, by building houses that they don't particularly want to live next to uh in a way that's quite adversarial um and we would argue that one of the ways to fix that is actually to create the incentives to build the right type of homes, a ho- homes that mm-hmm. people like. We know the type of homes that people like, and organisations like Create Streets have been fantastic mm-hmm. at diagnosing that. Um, and then, uh, and then incentivising local authorities and developers to build those homes in places where actually people were much more amenable uh, to development. Um, and actually, some polling for capex by Number mm. Crunch Politics showed yeah. that actually people are very amenable to development if it comes with schools and GP surgeries and uh, other um, infrastructure that houses need and is built in the right place. So I think I don't think the kind of NIMBY problem is. Uh, insurmountable, but I don't think it will be solved by simply liberalising planning rules. Yeah. But isn't there a kind? I mean, I, I guess I'm talking in a more big picture way. There needs a conservative party that wants to solve the problem. Yeah, has to lead on an, on, on lead on it on it, not in a political um, winning an election kind of way, but identify the problem, be honest with people about some of the trade. I mean, for for instance, the the Letwin review into into housing, that which is actually quite interesting, uh, sort of. Yep. Not looked at enough, enough, I think. But but the t- the, refer- the terms of reference for that review, which is when the government had to actually explain in formal words what they define the housing crisis to be and how they would define fixing the housing crisis. It's interesting to me that their definition is basically that they want house prices to rise, but not as quickly as, but 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 but, but wages to rise more quickly. So you know the definition is incredibly narrow, and in, in in that's one line in an official document. But it's a very narrow and not good enough definition of. of of um of of what you've identified to be a very big problem so i think you know that isn't there an issue of just you can ask people if they like building on the green belt or not you can ask people if they like this kind of house or that kind of house ultimately 
they'll suddenly be very relaxed about the green belt, I would imagine, if um, if that means that they can afford a home and that, they, you know, I'm, that's obviously a sort of, the green belt itself is a sort of slightly annoying distraction from most of it. But. Indeed, and I, I would actually say that we, I mean, I think actually there's a huge amount of political capital in actually greening the green belt because mm-hmm. lots of it isn't very green. Right. Um, and uh, you can imagine a kind of Michael Gove style initiative that actually tries to create lots of national parks and amazing yeah, uh, natural environment on kind of golf courses or whatever. Exactly. Whatever, yeah. Exactly. And and like I actually <laughs> think there is there is political opportunity in that sense, um, but it has to be I think first and foremost led by conservation and community, which is really what people are talking mm-hmm. about when they say they want to protect the green belt um, they want to protect Britain's kind of green and pleasant lands right, and right. they want to protect the communities that go with that um, but uh, but then building alongside that in order to deliver home ownership for people because we know mm-hmm. that that is a route to mm-hmm. stability security and uh, and kind of freedom as well so I think that that is one way to do it but um, but I don't think we should be starting from the from the too many people start from the the point that basically planning rules are highly restrictive and therefore uh massively skew the market of course they do but you're not you're actually politically you're never going to get to a point where you can actually change that if you start there you Mm. need to start from where people are um and what is politically possible um and then make an make a cogent argument about um how you change that while preserving the things that people Mm. want to protect and that's actually a conservative uh, yeah yeah, i mean i I, I would would agree with a lot of that yeah i mean i think uh, john myers who runs london uni writes for us a lot on how to basically get around this like exactly. yimbies versus nimbies problem exactly you go with a grain of people's opinions basically. um but let's let's move on a little bit um i think lurking behind this onward report is a sort of deeper question a deeper political question which you don't quite like understandably don't quite um tackle head on which is you're you're looking at young people kind of in isolation and how the concern is going to appeal to them more um, yeah, continuing the theme of kind of trade-offs, what do you? There is, you know, some politics is zero sum, right? Yep. So, what's your kind of view on who, where this fits into the broader question of who the Conservative Party is for, how it can win a majority at the next election? So you're totally right. Um, there are trade-offs here. Um, we would say. So what what our polling showed is that um, basically the Conservative Party is quite close to maxing out the number of older voters that mm-hmm. will consider voting for them. Um, there's a kind of relatively small gap between those that would consider voting for them and those that actually do. Um, but there's a far larger gap at the younger age of the young younger end of the kind of age spectrum. So younger voters, uh, about thirty odd percent of younger voters would consider voting Tory. Only about seventeen percent of them actually do. So there's quite a big delta in between three million voters equivalent um, who uh, are kind of amenable to Tory values and uh, and kind of should be conservative and say in a poll that they're certain or likely to vote conservative but then wouldn't do so if an election was held today um, and so we're essentially saying that the, if you if you're looking at the different opportunities facing the Conservative Party and the different demographics that they should be they could be going after there's a much bigger potential reward to going after younger voters than there is the relatively mm-hmm. small number of older voters that currently we're not getting, but we could be. Um, and so so partly what we're trying to do is, is make that argument that actually if the Conservative Party meaningfully wants to increase its vote share, if it wants to win uh, back a majority, then it's going to have to, to some extent, win over younger generations. And by the by, the kind of 
the gradual extension of the tipping point age is slowly making mm. the Conservative Party less and less amenable to kind of majority government because mm. uh, it's just slowly eroding the voting base. So, so it's going to have to do something to start to reverse that age gap. And we would say that actually younger voters are actually much more so than voters in middle age, much more amenable to the Conservative Party. But there's a big brand problem, um, and that will require probably being a more socially liberal, which is going to be quite difficult to uh, align with some of the social, very socially conservative views of over yep. 65s um, and uh, and playing to some quite specific tunes on the economy, which don't just view the economy in purely financial terms, but also talk to it in moral terms. And I think if you if you did that, there is a coalition to be to be kind of um, built there. And it, it, that might entail losing some voters at the odd end, but I don't think actually very many because there are lots of areas of commonality between those two groups. Um, uh, but but that's the way in which the Conservative Party builds a, a mainstream majority. Basically, I don't. Th- I think I think there is there is a real risk of the Conservative Party going down a uh, a slight rabbit hole of um, uh, of uh, of kind of kind of slightly backward politics, if I'm honest, um, to appeal to a group of people that grew up during the 1970s and 1980s mm-hmm. that is completely at odds from the worldview of people who grew up during the financial crash and, and afterwards mm-hmm. who are either coming into voting patterns today and having their voting patterns fixed probably for their entire lifetime um, or uh, who have been voting basically since the coalition. On, on that point, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a paradox in your report because on the one hand, you're, that's arguing for, in very broad terms, a different approach to the kind of last election approach in terms of, you know, if you think use the kind of overused like somewheres versus anywheres thing, you, the the pivot you're arguing for is towards younger, more metropolitan um, parts of the country. So I would contest that because I don't. So I don't think it is a metropolitan argument okay. actually. So. Um, so, but those are we, younger places. I mean, those are that's young people are more likely to live in cities. So, and, yes, but I don't think that's where the vast majority of um, younger conservative right, considerers okay. sit. So the, right. those three million voters through the Tory Party would go after actually not very metropolitan, not very kind of quote centrist in their mm-hmm. views at all. They're um, much more pro reducing immigration. They're mm-hmm. um, pro low tax, as I say, uh, pro living within our means as a country. Um, uh, but they also have views about reducing the gap between rich and poor and tackling companies that don't behave particularly well and things mm-hmm. like that. So I think th- there is a um, there is a coalition to be built between young and old. Um, it won't be found actually in the kind of uber uber liberal metropolitan world yeah. of, of the kind of TIG and and, yeah, yeah. and the independent group in Chakramuna. That's not where the majority of public opinion and the majority of young public opinion is actually. Um, it's 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 probably more. Um, uh, in a kind of new centre ground that's, uh, that combines probably being slightly to the right on um, some, uh, or sort of slightly to the right of where people perceive the centre to be on some kind of social and cultural issues like immigration and crime, um, and slightly to the left on some economic issues like um, intervention in, in kind of badly behaved firms and things like that. But uh, so, so just to go back to the. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, no, that's useful. That's useful. That's kind of clarifying. But the. Um, one of the things, presumably, you would advise future leaders not to do, which is one of my biggest frustrations about current leadership. Sorry, I feel like this is kind of like a therapy session. Right? <laughs> you know, frustrations about Theresa May out on you. But um, is not to, to gratuitously, with no political upside, gesture in a direction which basically pisses people off in one direction without actually delivering anything for other people, which I think is what conservatives can do and get horribly wrong. So, you know, you, you, the, 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 the overused example is obviously the sort of citizens of nowhere thing, which is like doesn't actually make anyone's lives any better off it just sort of but it's sort of it's doing a clever 
political yeah. thing. That actually, all it does is annoy lots of people. So um, I think, yeah. I mean, so I think that would your advice to the Conservative Party be on questions like, well, that's certainly not on, but things like another last election point would be like deciding to talk about fox hunting would be just this huge mistake um, and just don't do those sort of those things that are shared a lot on Facebook and actually, like I say, do not affect yep. people's lives, really. So and I just make you look like Tories in the worst possible way. Yeah, the point, the point that you make is a very valid one. I mean, I think we should always be wary about directional politics that isn't backed up with substance. Uh, we should be seen mm-hmm. to be a party that actually gets stuff done and delivers on what we say we do. And I, I think Theresa herself would say that she hasn't managed to do much of the things that she wanted to, um, partly because of actually the system, her cabinet, various other things, not necessarily all her doing. Yeah, I mean, there is no majority. That's, indeed. You can't indeed. forget that. Um, but, uh, but I do think you're, you're, you're totally right about the dangers of, of being seen to be offering false promise and, and, and never quite delivering. And actually, that's something that Labour has always seen as yeah. uh, as being weak on. And, and actually, now, I think it's something that, that infects the Conservatives as well. Um, but, but I do think that actually lots of the direction might have been right. It just needed to be backed up with serious policy. And then the other, the other criticism that I would have of my own time in government is that we were, we were frankly, not positive and optimistic enough. Like, we didn't really offer very much hope, mm. um, especially to younger generations. So yeah. if you're talking about the future and you're trying to talk about uh, kind of all of the possibilities that's going to um, come through new technology or through um, the benefits of a more kind of integrated, globalised economy and, and the, the kind of... Uh, the um, uh, the kind of opportunities that this generation has that previous generations didn't, um, uh, you you can actually start to win over those younger voters who really want reasons to be positive and optimistic about mm-hmm. their lives. Um, and there is a danger, I think, and this is particularly true of the 2017 manifesto, where you, in in trying to effectively create a new intergenerational contracts and things like winter fuel allowance and social care, I think I would put in this box. You actually you just look quite penal and punitive mm-hmm. rather than emancipatory and yeah, empowering yeah. Um, and so I think we got th- that that kind of question wrong we should have been much more about giving young generations opportunity rather than taking away things from older generations right when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Um, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, we've gone 25 minutes without mentioning the B word. Yeah. Um, it's obviously a huge issue, and it's, Brexit's a huge issue, which there is a big generational divide on too. So uh, the kind of cynic in me wonders if a party that um, is delivering Brexit let's forget whether or not it's doing so competently um but you know that that is something that's going to be tarred with in the eyes of younger voters and and that's going to be you know to what extent does your polling kind of suggest that's a big a, a hurdle that it can or can't kind of clear in the future so we're we have deliberately at onward tried to steer away from brexit we don't do um specific work on brexit but we did ask everyone in the poll, uh, all 10,000 of them, how, how they voted in 2017. The interesting thing actually is it's not really a dividing line amongst younger voters who would consider voting Conservative. Mm-hmm. So about, it's, it's literally 48-52 uh, <laughs> uh, amongst that group. And yeah. it pretty pretty clearly split down the middle. You just mean um, in terms of how they voted? How, the so so the, the 3 million young considerers um, who the Conservative Party is currently not winning over but could try to, uh, about 48% voted Remain, about 52% voted Leave. Um, very representative of the entire country. And that's not a clear... Um, skew either way uh, and I think the reality is for lots of younger voters it's, there are lots of more important things than Brexit and Brexit's become a lightning rod because it's the thing the government is only mm-hmm. focusing on um, so I, I actually don't think Brexit will I mean depending on how things pan out but I don't think Brexit necessarily is the thing we should be focusing on with these voters mm-hmm. um, it's all the other stuff, it's making the economy work yep. better, it's, it's um, uh, kind of empowering them in their daily lives it's uh, bring back a sense of community it's things like that which which really are things that they are calling out for and currently no one's talking about what's the um what does the polling say on the general kind of what what maybe i would cynically describe as the kind of nannying tendency of lots of what the conservative party does on um you know like sugar tax stuff and um online online um regulation and you know porn passports or whatever it is you have to go and collect yeah. from the post office um yeah. you know there's a school of thought, one represented by lots of people on CapEx, that would say, you know, this is a Conservative Party that looks like a sort of old, socially conservative, um, kind of fun sponge party, and that's not how you win over young people. So we didn't ask specifically about kind of nanny state policies, um, uh, but from from the kind of directional polling that we did do and the wedge questions that we asked, I actually don't think that that is a um, a big problem for younger voters. There was a clear kind of support in the in the data for the idea that government had responsibilities to mitigate. And obviously, we didn't ask this in the polling, but the kind of social externalities of certain mm-hmm. types of business activity, um, and uh, a clear willingness to see government intervene where firms were kind of creating a cost to society um so um actually in many respects i think that's actually one thing where younger people might be supportive of government intervention um but overall they're least supportive of more regulation compared to other groups so um i mean all groups are supportive of more regulation margin and the kind of 18 to 24 year olds marginally more than older generations uh, marginally less sorry but but um uh but yes, I think I think there was there was clear indication in, in support of uh, intervention in some ways. Mm. On, on, on just sort of round things up with kind of a broad yeah. question about this approach to um, the approach taken in, in this polling. 
I would reading reading a lot of the time. I sort of felt as though you can ask voters, you know, to go back to the green belt or yep. interventions, whether they think government should be tough on this or that. You can sort of ask voters from you can ask voters those questions, and and, and you'll get answers that don't always necessarily add up. And you know, people think contradicting things at the same time, right? They might mm-hmm. think that they want uh, economic growth, but they also want to you know do things that stop economic growth. And they so you need to you need to sort of address the trade offs. And I think you also just need to kind of, tr- do you, would you agree that you need to just kind of trust your type, you know, be in government, deliver for people, make their houses more affordable, make life, broadly speaking, better for people. And actually, you don't, you know, you actually don't need to worry too much about these various groups of voters and how, and how, they, how they feel about, you know, interventions and this and that. Well, I think so. You should never do politics by polling entirely, and um, that's a recipe for kind of blunt populism. Um, uh, and of course, there are trade-offs that are difficult to get into into polling questions and uh, aren't kind of always brought out. Um, but I think it's really important directionally to know uh, what are the relative priorities of different generations and how they differ, especially given that the age gap is getting worse and mm. that it's having quite real political consequences for, for both major parties. Um, so I think we do need to sit up and take notice of uh, how different generations are voting, just in the same way as that we previously kind of talked about C1D voters mm. or C2D voters and various other types of voters um, uh, based on their class or their income. I mean, these, this is just a different way of looking at the electorates, um, of segmenting them according to important variables. Um, but I think the, the, the key point is that there, is big, there are big differences between younger and older voters. Actually, on housing, I mean, it's interesting how much we fixate on housing. Housing, when you ask people about their relative priorities, mm. is less of a priority than the, than the environment for younger mm. voters. Um, now, but that's sort of what I mean, though. That's yeah. what I'm saying is people don't necessarily rank that as a political priority, but if you're creating an economy and society in which people can buy a home, start families, do all these things that, to get back to our initial point, you know, these kind of boring bourgeois things that actually everyone just wants to do. Yeah. Um, that does change, whether they, whether they sort of know it or not, that does change people's attitude to the, to the party and government. Yes, it does. But I do think there's value in asking people to, to list their priorities yeah. in order of course, and to see which ones come out on top because... Um, I mean, I think if you ask most people in politics whether the environment was more important to people in when ranking them in a list mm-hmm. than the environment, they would have always, always said housing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the fact that young people say the environment should mm-hmm. wake up the Conservatives to the, the facts, and I think Michael Gove has already yeah. gotten into no, well, I, I, I actually agree yeah. about yeah. what they should be doing on that. I'm yeah, indeed. About, yeah, um, indeed. Um, so I just think, I mean, it, 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 of course it doesn't tell you everything, but it, it tells you a lot and it tells you things that you probably weren't thinking about before. And I think that's the important thing. For okay, well, and then final question then to kind of um, follow on from that. If you had sort of two minutes with every prospective um, conservative leadership candidate um, in the coming months or years or whenever that's going to mm-hmm. happen, and you, wanted, you had sort of two minutes to, to tell them, here's what you think you know about young people, young voters in the Conservative Party, and here's why you're wrong... You know, what is the biggest sort of way in which you think your polling has kind of shifted what perceived wisdom should be about, about that? I think our polling has fundamentally uh, kind of exploded the myth that young people are all socialists and that they want a significant expansion of the welfare state uh, and a, um, a kind of much 
much bigger tax base. I don't think that's true. Uh, and I think our polling, which is a kind of mega sample, uh, big, big sample poll, shows that. Um, but more than that, I think it shows that young people are not as simplistic. They don't conform to the old left-right stereotypes as, as other generations. Um, they believe in both bank nationalisation and a government that lives within its means and doesn't raise taxes. Um, and so there's an inher- inherent contradiction there that the government will need to respond to. I would say that the way to do that is focusing on a kind of moral economic message as well as a, a kind of uh, a message about kind of restoring community and, and bringing the country back together again. I think those two things across all generations and are um, uh, are kind of slightly at odds with the way in which most politicians view young people. Um, they see them as kind of wanting to overthrow the economic uh, environment rather than um, mm. uh, seeking to reform it, and they uh, see them as very individualistic, um, which I don't think is true either. Um, so, uh, so those are the two ways I think I would um, try and convince. That was Will Tanner on the political generation gap. Thanks for listening.